Hi guys, welcome back again to Life of Education's podcast. We're here today with uh, Great British Ultra Elite Marathon Runner Lee Grantham. Grantham, correct? It is. I've confused myself as a Grantham, yep. Uh, jungle.vip on Instagram if you want to check him out. Very interesting page there. This is our second time speaking with you. Caroline missed the first one. Mm-hmm, so it's sadly. A, mm-hmm. It's her first yeah. time meeting meeting you on camera. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice to see you guys again. Yeah, how are you feeling today? Yesterday in the calendar was the Abu Dhabi Marathon. Yep. How are you feeling? I feel good. Um, I'm training a lot at the moment. So I'm sort of building up towards the next season. There's some big races next year. So yesterday was just a training race. So I feel I came away with uh, a decent, like an 8 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. You were going for something different though. You weren't just doing the 42. You had a different plan. Yeah. So I was trying to run 50K. It's re- it, when you do, like, obviously I'm an ultra distance runner. So when you do your long runs, it can be a case of like going out the night before, putting bottles in certain places, nutrition in certain places, um, or having somebody cycle by the side of you. So when you're running more than a marathon, it's quite useful to do that with a, in a marathon. So I'll get an invite from a race, and then the drink stations, the energy stations will be along the way, so that's all set up. And also, there's, this, there's a psychological point where it's easier to run faster when you're with other people, um, and obviously you're, you're basically pra- practicing race tactics as well in a certain way, sort of you're with groups, etc. So my plan was to do 50K in three hours 20, and I ended up doing 40k in a faster time, but just 40k. So, you, go on. Oh, I was going to ask you briefly before I heard you speaking about you have a goal to run 100k in the fastest time. Can you explain this this objective and this goal to me? Yeah. So the thing the thing I like about this sport is um, like we were there yesterday, Keith, and we saw um, like the top guys are, a lot of the time they're from a pocket of East Africa, like Kenya, Ethiopia, Rift Valley, Eritrea, and Uganda. And sort of like it's very, very, very like it's incredible. I think for London 2012, the stat was there was 550 Kenyans qualified for, wow. the, for the Olympic marathon and two British people. So that's the standard you're dealing with. So um, it, it makes it so that it's brilliant and I love it for East Africa. But when it comes to ultra running, there's a lot more planning and, and a lot more. Um, it's it's a lot more of a, like a grassroots sport more and so there's something like 60, 70 nationalities represented when you go to the world championships so you're literally racing against people from all the way around the world whereas if you watch an Olympic final in the 10,000 metres there's probably 7 or 8 nationalities maximum represented so it's a lot more international so that's a good thing but 100k world record is like 6 hours and 10 minutes mm-hmm. just short who, who holds the world record Japanese right now? Japanese guy uh-huh. Japanese oh, really? guy and the Japanese have held it for a while yeah um, Japanese and your goal sorry to interrupt you is yeah. to break that record yeah so my goal is to break that record amazing so you have to sustain uh, 3 hours uh, 3 minutes and 41 seconds per kilometer wow. for 6 hours and 10 minutes so yeah, it's say it again. Three minutes and what? Three ma- three minutes and forty-one seconds for six hours and ten minutes. Yeah. Wow. Um, to break the record, that's the time that you have to do. That's the time. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um. And when uh, are you planning to do this? So the World Championships in Holland mm-hmm. in September, but it may be, it, conditions are really important. Like you need, as you may have saw, like the breaking two Ineos event in uh, Vienna this year. They tried to with Eloid Kipchoge, Nike tried to break two hours with um, control situation. So the temperature was perfect, humidity, etc., was perfect. So you need the, the best conditions. And probably the fastest race in the world is in Japan in June. Um, so have the British Championships in May or uh, the 100K in, which is also 100K, and then 100K in Japan in June or and the World Championships to uh, d- to decide from this yeah, so it's whether to be world champion or go for the world record. Which would you I prefer? I prefer to take world record. Yeah, because yeah. then it's the like the world record is the best of anybody on any day at any time ever. So to have that would be more important than just be the world champion one. Yeah, but both are good. Yeah. <laughs> and how far off that target are you these days currently? Yeah. So the w- the way you. The way you sort of work around it is you've obviously you've got to build the pace. I've already can sustain that that pace for a certain amount of hours. I could probably sustain that for seventy five, eighty k, 
Um, so my marathon, when I run a marathon, it's like 320 per kilometer. Uh, when I run 50K, it's like 328 per kilometer. So it's just a case of like having that as your regular pace and sustaining it. Having you need a little bit of luck. It's still like a marathon. There's still a lot of things that can go wrong. You need to get your nutrition right. Mm. Um, you need the perfect conditions. You don't want there to be any wind and things like that. But I'd, yeah, I mean, it's a difficult question to answer. But I'd say I'm like 20k away. Oh, if really? That yeah. makes sense. Like yeah, I can yeah. hold it for 80k, but not 100k right now. Um, and then in striving. To do it, the training that you need to do, you know, f- problems can come in there. Like to strive, you, there's potential to break and stuff like that. So it happened this year where I went for something, uh, 50k. Uh, I wanted to break the British record for 50k. And what sh- what is that at the moment? So the British record is 248, mm-hmm. and that was broke this year by one of my teammates mm-hmm. in Croatia. Um, sorry, Romania, and. Um, and yeah, the previous British record was 252 uh, or 253, so he broke it by a long way. Great athlete, Dan Nash, and um, that's what I wanted to do at that race. But in doing so, like the month before, I got a calf uh, tear, and so I wasn't able to attend the race. So it's like I was as fit as I've ever been. And that's the sort of risk that you take in order to, like super compensation is like stressing the body to a point that it can then handle more stress in the future so i just stressed stressed too far it might have been like it may have been a lack of confidence i don't think so it was more of like trying to be greedy with fitness like i knew i was really fit so i knew i could do really hard workouts i tried to do it was like second to last hard workout before the race and it just went and there's just no returning back from i had loads of physio loads of sort of intrusive uh, stuff and i just not, didn't happen but you have to keep trying it yeah? Yeah. Just to, just to put it in perspective for us mere mortals, what is your quickest ten k time if you were to go flat out? Oh, uh, yeah, it's tricky. I don't do them, so all my personal bests are within a marathon because that's like the shortest distance I run. So, so what would I, you get to the ten k point at? I think if I was given like eight weeks to train for ten k, I'd run thirty minutes. Three zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then your what's your quick half marathon? Within a uh, within London Marathon, the first half of London Marathon, like sixty eight minutes. Jeez. Yeah. So it's d- don't get me wrong. I mean, not like when you're in the Middle East or you're in Asia, these like seem like really good times. But if you were, if you're in Japan, in a single race, like sixty people will break sixty four minutes, um, because in Japan you've got the corporate system, so people companies literally pay people to be professional runners right. because the relay is so strong. Companies want to be other companies for status. In America, you've got the collegiate system, which is really strong for cross country, and in the UK, we've got the um, the club system, which is really strong in cross country and in um, in road running as well. So. It, it's not it's not a strong half marathon time even though it seems maybe like not at the elite level but for the for the human yeah, that's yeah. that's just it's sitting at home now it's good human time <laughs> it's good human time yeah that's crazy have you uh have you toyed around with this new nike shoe ah, yes i have uh nike sponsor me and so yeah i get to be like a guinea pig for them so, do you so. Ta- just talk, talk a little bit about what the technology is for people who don't know anything about it yeah well i suppose like Nike is all about Nike's r- rooted in running, yeah. So Nike formed, I think, nineteen sixty eight, nineteen seventy, uh, just before the Berlin Olympics, which were in, sorry, the the Munich Olympics, I think, in seventy two. So Steve Prefontaine did really well in that race, and he won uh, as a young kid, came fourth, and he was like the first major ambassador for Nike. And it was formed by a, com- uh, a guy called Phil Knight, who, if you've ever read the book Shoe Dogs brilliant read and it's a great it's not just a great business book but it's a good book about life and about how passionate they were in the beginning he was a runner under a coach called bill bowerman and um he just he wasn't there so he had the choice like to get into a regular job or to 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 be an athlete and it just wasn't there for him the second choice so so he became a businessman but wanted to get wanted to still be in the sport so he went on a world tour went to japan Long story short, he started to import ASIC shoes from Japan, and then just ASIC bring that microphone wide up close. Yeah, yeah, I've got. Sorry, sorry. Can you hear me now? <laughs> um, 
So he started to import ASICs, and then they tried to basically cut him out of the deal. So overnight, it was like, okay, let's call Ashu something else. And then they came up with Nike, the Greek god of success. And so their roots is in running. And it's all about innovation. It always has been. So Bill Bowerman was playing around with not just the shoes and the grip, but like back in the 50s and 60s, he was playing around with these things, but also the the actual surface of a, of a running track. So he was playing around with this at Haywood Field, which I've been to in Portland, Oregon. Um, so they're innovators. So fast forward to now, it's like an arms race, I suppose, against other brands to create the fastest shoe. And they've created the, they created the Vaporfly 4%, which is, um, if you've seen it, it's usually an orange shoe. It's It's got a carbon plate in it, which is a bit different. It's been done before, but... Uh, the way it's been done, it's like, it's definitely a fast shoe, yeah? And it's all about performance. So it's like the difference in being in a regular trainer, a regular running shoe, and being in this is like you feel as if you're in a racing shoe. So it doesn't feel so comfortable to jog in, for instance, or just go for a walk, whereas it feels super, it feels incredible to run fast in. Right. And it makes you want to run fast as well, because the faster you run, the more it works. Um, So... Now they now I was like I you know when that when when that came when that came out I was like wow this is in this is insane like it's really quick how are they going to improve upon this and I went to visit Nike last year and they were showing me the innovation department so so you've got like a linear department that's like design and 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 stuff like that and they're like improving on the Vaporfly four percent but then this innovation team take ideas that have already been made in a ma- and are in the market and and completely like uh, are in, innovative in, in, in different areas and they create the next percent and I thought whatever it is it can't be faster than the four percent because it's just I, I can't think of a faster way to make a shoe everything was perfect but then when I saw it and tried it on uh, it's like the, the improvements are ridiculous like the upper weighs 15 grams so you know, I, it's hard to think about what weighs 15 grams, but it, it's n- literally nothing. Mm-hmm. The water, uh, the upper is also like 95% water resistant. So they found that in wet races, although you had a light shoe on, which weighs a lot less than 200 grams, which is already light for a shoe, um, th- it was taken on water and therefore getting heavier and therefore wasn't great in, gri- in, in wet races. It's also more grippier and wider, so it's stable. Um, and also the lacing system goes off to the side of your foot. So it takes the pressure off your main uh, veins and arteries that are actually okay. on the top of your foot. So all round, it's just a much, much faster shoe. Yeah. Have you ran in it, like, for time? Yeah, I've run in it for the last... Um, since it came out. Oh, so you had this on uh, yesterday in the, in the race? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so... Because uh, this is what the two-hour marathon was based around, wasn't it? The sub-two. Yeah. Yeah. So they set up, if I'm not mistaken, they set up a controlled event mm. in, you said Vienna just now. Is that, what you, is that where it is? Or was yeah, this, so this Germany? Been, yeah, there's been two. So there was one in Italy at Monza Racetrack. And um, they, Elwid Kipchoge, um, there's a lot more to Elwid Kipchoge than just being an athlete. He's won 13 of the last 13 marathons he's running. Um, I've met him and he's a, a ridiculously humble guy for what he is. Like this is, this is like the Michael Jordan or the, you know, Roger Federer of the running world. This guy is like ridiculous. It's ridiculous to be that consistent and that good for that length of time. So he doesn't get the credit probably that he deserves. And there's certainly not the wealth in marathon running that there is in like uh, basketball or Premier League football or American football or whatever. But there was a project based around him in Italy where he went for breaking two with Nike with this new shoe of percent and he got two hours and 20 seconds. So he was just 20 seconds over. But then they showed, it was in controlled situations, so it doesn't qualify as a world record, but it showed what the power of it, and his, his motto is no human is limited. So it's not just like the elite, it's literally it filters down to everybody, like, you know, chase your dreams, go for it, and if you put full focus in, anything's possible sort of thing, yeah. And could you run in it if you had broken feet and metalwork? Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you could, you know, anything's possible, right? Anything is possible, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get Caroline in it for the next... Uh, the next. <laughs> He's trying to convince me to do a marathon. Mm. And I'm like, no, it's just not calling me right now. Really? Okay. Yeah. Elowit said to me in Berlin, he said, 
no human is limited, not even Caroline from Dubai. Mm. <laughs> I was oh. like, wow, how do you know her? Like, Everyone knows Caroline. <laughs> no, look, I'll tell you, I'm going to be really honest with you. I like to do shit that makes me really happy. And okay. uh, and running, like, I love running so much. Mm. Um, but after you've had seven surgeries on your feet, it just, like, it mm. is pain. Excuses. So eh? much yeah. pain. Excuses. <laughs> Bloody hell. So I prefer seven hiking. Seven Only seven surgeries? Shut seven. up. <laughs> That's seven seven this month. Yeah, <laughs> These guys are teasing me. Don't listen to them. We'll, we'll, we'll test it out. We'll put it on your foot and see how right, much comfort right. it gives you. Look, I'm, my next thing is I really want to do a half marathon just mm. to see if I can. Mm. Mm. But I'll go there. There next. you go. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, space? Uh, I'm with you. You've know, you you, you got to do short, what you love. You've got to do what you love, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you do something you love, you're going to get better. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like there's something, like you get to the end of the finish line in a running track and it's like, eh, okay, great. Mm. <laughs> like, a running track, like that. Yeah, but meters, <laughs> like, you get to the it's top of the mountain and it's it's really different. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no. you get to the end of the marathon and then you realize you're still alive. It's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then when you come through the recovery period, it's like, okay. Yeah. I'm I, never I, doing I, that I feel like I was just climbed Everest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, falling down yeah. all the way up to the bottom. Um, but where is it like? Because was there no rules or regulations against having a support or like an assisted trainer? There's nothing in the regulations that say like this is cheating or that's not cheating or just everyone just go for it. You mean the controlled situation? No. If you were, can you can you wear that Nike new shoe in the Olympics? Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I'm just wondering, is it like do people look at it and go, oh, he's cheating or he's not cheating? No. I mean. This is the crazy thing about the world, right? When I was in Berlin in September, so two months ago, yeah, they just it, it originally this next percent, which is the the, the the event I just spoke about was in Monza, so that was with the old old Faberfly four percent, which is like three years ago. <laughs> then they did another one where he actually broke two hours, and that was in Vienna. So literally twenty one k, twenty one k, literally one eighty and back, yeah. And he did this in a new shoe that will be launched next year. So the next percent is this shoe that's currently out and available to everybody. And the crazy thing for me is in Berlin, they launched a new colorway, which was, it it was a fluorescent green shoe, and then they launched pink, the pink version, yeah? And not only was, I'm sure it was more than 50% of the runners that were in the race from all levels, guys who were trying to do two hours up to five, six hours, yeah? It was like half of them were in the next percent, but there were so many people in the pink shoe that had just been released that weekend. And it's almost like, I don't know if it's a status or a fashion thing, but people wanted to be in the latest. It's exactly the same as the green shoe, but they wanted to be in that latest pink shoe. So it's just nuts how the market works. If the demand's there, it's going to work. But I think what you're asking is, um, it's okay to bring in the Olympics, yes. It's not an illegal shoe. The, the, The... the rule is that um, if it's available to the mass market, which it is, it's completely fine. I suppose the ethical conversation that people are having are how far does this go? Like, yeah. you know, how fast, can, you know, can you sort of have wheels on the bottom of your shoe or springs or something crazy like that? So where is that line now? Where does that line currently sit in, yeah. in what is allowed, permissible, and what isn't? It's, yeah, it's a fu- I think it's funny because... Um, from my perspective, mm. um, I think running is not the wealthiest of sports, right? So if you have a pair of trainers, you can run, yeah? And I coach kids back in Thailand that literally don't have any shoes. So they just run on the grass. And that's great to see. And it's also something that most people should do, running bare feet so they get stronger feet. But if there's something that can help athletics or running right now when they're competing against other sports that are such much more interesting to, to watch like UFC, boxing, Premier League football, in America basketball, baseball, American football, all those things, then it's great for the sport. And what happens is naturally other brands quickly copy. So other I'm, I won't name names, but um, other brands all of a sudden put the same technology in their shoes and make versions of that. So yeah, people complain, but then they'll quickly make a, a replica or not right. I suppose maybe you can't call it a replica. Like, like something very similar. Yeah. A variation. Yeah. Variation. <laughs> yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. for a lot of these people, though, there's a lot at stake, isn't there? Like, if you've got a guy beside you who's wearing the the trainers, that is mm. going to take what would it take four four or five minutes off uh, from a, for an average person? Yeah, it's difficult to say. Like the four percent was 
based on a maths calculation okay. on like um, done on a lot of scientific study. And so at the top level, four percent is a winner. It's like top three or not top three. Yeah. That's a yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, huge. So huge, there's a lot on huge, huge. on the line for people who use running as mm-hmm. a mode to see the world and to get a sponsorship deal, get prize money. Yeah. Yep. It, the f- yeah, I mean, it's it, when you look at the winners of the major marathons over the last sort of f- four or five years, then there's definitely been a trend. There was a world record set in Berlin that was added a shoe, I think 2013, but then since then it's been Nike to a point where, bear in mind, like an athlete's career is on the line, maybe food on the table, prize money is on the line, Olympic qualification, world championship qualification. If you've got sponsors, they want to see you at the World Championships and the Olympics and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of pressure on these runners from different brands to, mm-hmm. to, to perform. So there was a, there's literally been lots of athletes caught with uh, the shoe that says it's another brand, but underneath oh, it's really? got the Nike. Really? So they've done it in two different ways. Either literally, it's been like a home job where somebody's like said, okay, this shoe is called this when it's not and tried to paint it over it. And then there's there's been athletes that have said, okay, I want this making with our sole, uh, sorry, our upper. So it's the Nike sole. Yeah. With, so that's happened. And, and when I you say upper, you mean like the canvas either side? Yes, yeah, so the mm. canvas. Yeah. And then the sole is like where all the technology sits. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's happening and it's happened many times and people have been caught for it and people have been sacked by the sponsor. But like I said, there's a lot of pressure on these athletes. So I have a question for you. It's a little bit controversial, but have you seen the documentary Icarus? Yeah. Um, so does that type of kind of high-level competition and kind of sneaky business, does that happen in running? Yeah, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I think it, it's not just running. It's any competitive sport. In any sport. sport. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, the higher the stakes, the more there is, I'm, I'm definitely sure. And if we're talking about mechanical uh, doping or... Uh, blood doping or whatever. Yeah, because in Icarus they were doing a lot of like blood doping and a lot mm. of a lot of what other stuff did they do in in that documentary? Well, it was the drugs and then it was the cover up. Yeah. yeah, like that was the big like everybody sort of knows. All right, there's drugs in sports. Yeah, but let's we have a system in place that catches the people who do drugs mm. and lets the people who don't do drugs yep. rise to the top. Yeah, yeah. But Icarus was like cover up the drugs so that mm. the guys who won were actually yeah fully that, illegal. I, I, What's, so for anybody watching who's not seen Icarus, the basics of it are is this, this guy who's pretty good on a bike, yeah? So he wants to do a race, quite a famous race in France, set over seven days. Um, so it's all about recovery. You know, you can be great on one day, and drugs don't really come into it, but it's like how quickly you recover. And so he wanted to do it one year w- without anything, and then the next year have a specialist doctor help him with illegal uh, uh, not illegal but I don't think it's illegal I think it's just against the rules yeah mm. so he was um, he wanted to show the difference he wanted to show the difference yeah right and so what he actually found was not a great big difference because a lot of tactics come into cycling and stuff like that and it's not and that specific race wasn't a team race so the history that cycling has is deep in doping I mean we're literally talking from the before the 1900s guys holding a cork in their mouth, in the, between their teeth, that's connected to a fish wire. There's a car in front pulling a guy along. What? There's, oh my god! There's doping cases of um, guys getting a, a ride in a car, guys getting on a bus, <laughs> guys getting on a motorbike. It's just like wow. people will do anything to win. But the funny thing, that the the interesting thing, and, and what made mm. that actually a documentary, is all of a sudden he spoke to a guy in Russia just by chance. There's a really, really charismatic guy who basically uncovered systematic doping from government down. Through into the Russian Olympics, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, I can't remember, the, 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 so I think it was Sochi. The Sochi, the Sochi Winter yeah, Olympics. Yeah, mm-hmm. Olympic Games in, in winter. And, um, and it was just, it, it, for, for me... Uh, there was a film re- released about uh, called The Program about Lance Armstrong and about what happened there. And yeah, because Lan- that, that was really controversial when he came out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and these are all really interesting cases. But I think, um, like, for, for instance, that was meant to be like a crime thriller. When it's not, it's it, it should be a comedy because some of the stuff that comes out of that... How so? Well, 
the cases in in the in the eighties and nineties and the turn of the cent- uh, turn of millennium is is literally had guys who would you'd have a good doctor, but then there'd be a range of doctors who knew about certain things, the latest med- more designer drugs, and then you get people who wanted to compete but had to try and do it on their own. So you'd get cases like a guy in like blood doping is a blood transfusion is basically taking a, a portion of your blood out. Your body recreates that blood, and then you fr- you freeze that blood you've taken out, and then reinfuse it. So essentially, you've got more blood, then more red blood cells, then more oxygen getting to your muscles. So things seem a lot easier. So that's a definition of blood doping the, is where you almost give yourself your own blood transfusion. Yeah, that's a blood transfusion, and then there's ways to manipulate the blood as well. And as we've got, as I'll, I'll come to that in a second, but um, like there's cases where there's an Italian guy who didn't didn't know anything about the blood you know a lot of these people are athletes and have always been athletes so they don't they've often forfeited their education which again it comes into the lance situation again but um a guy took half a liter of blood from his dog and reinfused it oh. into himself before a race and nearly died i uh, was gonna say that because like i've had a lot of blood transfusions and they make you really sick like yeah. when you first get them, like you get okay. fevers and you get really nauseous and you get really sick. Yeah. But even when it's like same blood type, all of that stuff. So from a dog infusing himself, that's crazy. No one did Imagine, imagine how that would feel before you. Yeah, it's pass away. honestly, it's it's but, not great. But for me, it's not. It's not only funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, it's tragic in the sense that people will do anything to win. So yeah. when Lance and I read, there's there's obviously more than. There's more than these documentaries that we see. Like, there's a lot of books written about that era because it is fascinating. Um, and I've read, I think, seven or eight books on the topic. And there's there's amazing cases. Like, for instance, a, a bus going down uh, one of the ma- major climbs in France during the Tour de France, and the, uh, they knew that all the uh, the doping testers would be at the ho- the hotel. And so the bus driver pretended the engine was broke down. Stopped the bus, and they all received the transfusion. Or the main guys received the transfusion. Then the bus was all of a sudden fine. Drove to the hotel. Nobody gets caught, yeah. Because mm-hmm. at that time you couldn't detect a transfusion, and you couldn't detect at a certain point EPO, which is something that people inject in order to boost the amount of red blood cells in your mm-hmm. body, so that you can work harder. Yeah. And so when Lance and his crew got to Europe, they were the best in America like 330 million in America, they were killing it in, in America. Like Lance was unbelievable. And they got to Europe and they were getting killed. And they were like, what? It can't be different genetics, Europeans to Americans. We're the same people. So what's the difference? And then they realized how widespread doping was. And it was either, do you go home, bear in mind you forfeited your education and become maybe a plumber or electrician or something, or do you sort of like join the show? and like start doping because it, that sense you probably feel like it's really difficult because I'm I'm 36 now so I sort of view the world in a different way to when I was 22 but I don't know how a 22 year old me would have reacted to that situation mm-hmm. is there a lot of pressure to for I'm elite a- athletes to to constantly win of course, of course, yeah. And in every level, in every sport, yeah, there's huge pressures, yeah. It's like we, we you know, we watch sport for entertainment. Um, even yesterday, even yesterday, there would have been, like, huge pressures for those guys to win. Prize money is $100,000. Um, agents will be rife, so they'll be taking 50% of that. Really, so, yeah. So the winner will get 50000 And bear in mind, there's probably 50 Africans there, let's say going for the, the maybe win. 15 of them going for the top spot so of course what that you then have is like okay the agents are involved with certain athletes you've got certain groups and they take their just obviously a money-making machine um you've had cases where the managers are actually doping the athletes because they want them to succeed oh. you've got coaches doping athletes you've got um yeah i mean you're from a small village in kenya your only hope to get out of that village and do something apart from farming for twenty dollars a month is to become a runner. You have a natural gift at running, but there's also three hundred other guys in your country that are also just as good as you. Mm. And somebody wants to. Somebody tells you that in two years you could be winning this. You could be basically the equivalent of multimillionaire if you just take these vitamin shots. 
that's all I'll say. Something like vitamin shots, yeah. yeah. Just to, and I'm sort of basically quoting cycling here, but the same would have happened in running. Just to keep you healthy because you're training so hard, so you need extra vitamins. And like about, that guy will mm. be completely ignorant. So I'm so sorry fa- for asking you a, a really, maybe this is a silly no, question, okay. Okay. but is there a group of, say, elite marathon runners that just go around the world just for the prize money of marathons like marathon prize money yeah i mean make no mistake about it there's um and agents and managers and that are just oh, taking yeah, agents, people agents and managers world. are 100 percent are in it for the money only uh coaches are sometimes in it for the love more often than not are in it for the love of it uh in certain countries running is business and in certain countries running is a hobby and recreation and obviously it gets serious if you get to the Olympic or World Championship stage. But in Kenya, Ethiopia, Uganda, those guys are running for business. They don't they don't do it for the love of it. I mean mm-hmm. some of them will put out a message. Um I'm sure I'm sure Elwood Kipchoge loves running, yeah. I'm sure he loves what running has done for his life. Um in the same way that Jorge Masvidal in the UFC would love what fighting has done for his life and he loves fighting but he probably loves everything to do with fighting he probably loves the whole crew mm-hmm. both both of them yeah probably of all the mates that are so dedicated Ellerid is a true professional and, and somebody that um, I wouldn't think would um, would go down that route just because he's, he's a purist um, but what I was saying then is like say, say if you had that situation where okay just take these vitamins mm. and you don't know what's in the, you don't know what's in the syringe and um, and then, you know, all of a sudden you start winning, and it's like, okay, we've got to keep these vitamin shots going because otherwise I'll stop winning. And all of a sudden you get popped for do- doping, and th- these African guys don't even know what they've been doing. So they could pass a lie detector test, no problem, um, in the same way that a lot of cyclists pass lie detector tests because in their mind they, they weren't doping because... Th- sorry, in their mind they weren't cheating because everybody was doping. So they were just you know, coming to the playing field uh, at the same level. So I suppose the point is it's it's um, it's like you're sort of like uh, changed by your environment and also um, what becomes norm, the norm is like it very, very quickly becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. So what's going on around you and how you become a professional and how you sign a contract is... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just all psychology. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, the public don't see that side of it. They don't see the psychological side of it. They just see that cheat out do you know yeah if you're a cheater oh it must be because of the money mm. it must be because you wanted you wanted that mm. ahead of the others so just you're a bad person see you later but there's people's livelihoods and people's families livelihoods mm. and futures on the line yeah yeah exactly yeah and um yeah i think you, you, you know you've hit the nail on the head there it's like it, it's the same with politics right it's like um if you try and sort of like give the general public who have no idea like i have like maybe one percent of an idea about politics. I know what I think the world should look like and what my country should look like. But I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm in athletics. I'm a professional runner, but I don't know what's going on with these companies and these agents. Really, I know what stories come out, and I know what to believe and who to believe in credible sources. But we don't really know. So then, if you throw a guy who's just like, what? What do you mean? He was putting injections into himself. Like, okay, ban him for life. And it's just more, and that's even in the athletics community because people just can't handle it because they, it, we we we're very good at being hypocrites in Britain, I think, and so you'll get something like a case where, you know, a Kenyan gets busted for doping, and uh, or you know, a South American gets busted for doping. It's like oh, those South Americans or the Russians have always been cheating, yeah, like Icarus, like mm. if. My view on Icarus is like, okay, if, we, if we're saying that this is systematic doping and the whole Olympic team is, is doping and it's, it's been do- done in such a crazy way that we need to literally chop the head off the snake, the head of the snake is not the head of Russia. The head of the snake is the head of the IAAF, which is a British guy. And so have you ever seen that scene in Casino where it's like um, Robert De Niro is the manager of a casino. He's got this cowboy working for him who's like the son of a local sheriff, so he's got his job. He's not very... Really He's not very gifted, but he's got his job. And all of a sudden, three fruit machines are won within a five-minute period. Basically, Robert De Niro just goes over and goes, what the the fuck? You're you're, you're fired. He's like, why am I fired? It's just, look, 
It's like, do you know what the odds are of three fruit machines winning a million dollars within the space of five minutes? You've been done. Like, and and so he, when the sheriff comes to try and get his lad's job back, uh, it was like either he's dumb and doesn't understand or he was in on it. It has to be one or the other. Mm. So he's either incompetent or he was in on it. And for me, that's the case with the IAAF. It, it's either he knew about it and you're, you're therefore in on it indirectly, or you're too dumb and therefore you should be replaced. Because if that is happening, like, mm. in our, like, in today, it's just ridiculous. And, uh, like, one person came forward or something, now has to live in a different country, or, or including the guy, uh, as well as the guy. It's just, um, yeah, again, it's psychology. The way that people, what people will do. Like, there was a, there was a, there was a, um, there's a study done, I'm not sure exactly which year, but it's quite, it's quite recent, and it was done with guys, guys and girls that had had a um, scholarship for being like a, in top in track and field, um, or at le- yeah, ch- top in Olympic sports, yeah? And it was, the question was, if you could win a, an Olympic medal, uh, but you would die within five years, would you take it? And 50% said, yes, I would take it. So, They've just, all their life has been about competition and winning. They've been the best in their little town, their county, their province, their, and then their country. And it's just always been about winning. And the, like the top, top level is to win an Olympic medal. Mm. And then once you've done that, that's, that's it. You don't have to do anything more, yeah? So they would take it. And that statistic would be staggering for the public to hear. But if you're in... If you hang around like professional cyclists enough or professional athletes or professional sports people of any kind, you'll know that to be at that level anyway, to be a professional footballer, you have to be ruthless. Mm. You have to want it so much that w- there's nothing else in your mind apart from winning. Unless you're insanely talented, like the guys that go off the rails, like Paul Gascoigne and mm. George Best and stuff like that. People and Maradona, you know, people that can, can literally turn up after a night out and still be amazing. Everybody else has to be, especially these days when everybody is ridiculously fit in every sport. There's no, there's no fat footballers anymore, right? Yeah, everyone's an athlete. So that's my view on it. Except maybe American footballers. No, I'm joking. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> Some right. Some of them are really big. Sumo wrestlers, no skinny sumo wrestlers. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Bubble, hill. <laughs> The Christmas tree. Christmas tree stabbing <laughs> in the back. Um, so, so what happens when that, like, what happens behind the scenes when you guys would find out that a certain athlete or a certain competitor is has been caught? Mm. Like, is there a little community? Obviously, just not you're not all close mates, but like, mm. there must be a mm. a bit of surprise or a bit of oh, we knew it, or mm. you know, he had it coming to him. I well, as you know, I'm from Manchester. I'm British. I live in Spain eight months of the year and I live in Thailand like four months of the year. Thais are so far away from all that that I'm sure there's corruption within Thai Muay fighting and football um, in Thailand. In Spain, there's definitely a different view on doping. Um, In Britain, we literally throw the book at somebody who's caught doping um, in any sport. So... But you, if you if you're in the game, like I train alone nine percent of the time, running and cycling, I'll go for rides a few times a week with, with lads. But um, but mainly I train alone. So, but if you're in a training group, you know about it. You know who makes. It's very clear to see who makes like big jumps in their career. Yeah? Um, but then that's also like um, an argument against. It's like. If you if you if you've remained steady, and this is something that happened in cycling, yeah. So in cycling, um, this would be a better explanation of it. In in cycling, they brought in okay. There's a lot of people dying through EPO, like abuse, right? So people are literally, if your heart rate goes below a certain point, it can just your heart can just stop, yeah. So your blood can get that thick that your heart will stop. So there is literally a point, and this again is part of a comedy, I think. Like, there's literally guys running around the hotel at four o'clock in the morning to try and elevate the heart rate and then going back to sleep because they sleep with a chest wow. monitor on and it sets an alarm off if it goes b- below a certain point. So, um, so, I mean, what was your question again? Oh, it was. You were, you were talking about how from, uh, 
behind the scenes, like what goes on. Yeah, yeah. so so stuff like that you would know, and then like on you, you'd have to there's, there's a red thread. Um, but actually, my point was the. Um, uh, Keith asked you what you would do if you found somebody in your community that was. Yeah, well, you were saying that in England they throw the book at people. Yeah, yeah. I, was tr- I was trying to say the, the in in cycling, for instance. They said, okay, right, what we're going to do to stop this from happening is you're going to have your hematocrit, which is the amount of red blood cells, the ratio of red blood cells to the rest of the blood, so is going to be capped at 50%. And they thought that was a sensible idea to keep people alive, right, which it did keep people alive. But what it did is if your hematocrit was naturally lower than 50, you would, just na- you would elevate it to 50 and think that you're on a level playing field. So this trajectory, which should be quite smooth in an athlete's career, maybe in a growth spurt it would go up, but should be quite smooth, had to remain because once they said, okay, we can now detect EPO within the blood, then everybody had to keep their hematocrit at the level that they'd always said it was because at that time there was then a, a, a blood passport so they knew as an, uh, you as a person have a unique blood profile, right? Mm. So in order to keep that, they ha- in, a, in order to stay in a the sport, they would have to keep doping. Do you I understand? See, yeah, yeah. Do you I see understand what, what I mean? Yeah. So, so if you if you said, so how? Sorry to interrupt you there. How would they do that if now they could detect EPO? So how are they keeping those levels still having to dope to some degree so they could keep those those mm. levels? But if they were now detecting it. Mm. Yeah, so uh, it's a really good question, yeah, and the, the only answers I can give you are from the books that I've read, and it's like microdosing. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's basically, and this is the whole problem with doping, is you have the World Anti-Drug Agen- Administration, or whatever it's called, WADA, and you have, like, each country has its own administration, but they're like this compared to the commercialism of sport. So... Um, they're always the teams and the athletes are always ahead of the ahead of the game. Um, so they will be microdosing in order to get the same mm-hmm. reading and not detectable and levels. Then be, and then now there's apparently there's different ways of doping. So hematocrit doesn't necessarily need to be high, but the way each blood cell takes oxygen to the muscle, there is a way for that to be more efficient. So then it's like, how do you detect that? And so, and in the future, what we're going to see, and when I say the future, I mean probably from ten years ago onwards, um, there's gene doping. Mm. So how do you how do you how do you detect somebody's own genes within themselves? Like mm. it's just it's, it's so again, it's like um, this is when you go into really big ethical questions about how what is scientifically permissible mm. when it comes to genetics and when it comes to tampering with humans and and what that line is mm. and i think it's still very gray particularly in mm. science it's very gray and it yeah. needs to be clear yeah definitely yeah and I, I i can't remember the documentary i watched quite recently but it was talking about gene doping and it was talking about we need to give this to everybody otherwise yeah. it's only going to be available to the rich well there's yeah. a lot of epigenetics as well that's involved in in this too mm. Mm. anyway yeah, so it's a whole different podcast, but uh, it's, it's fascinating because, as I say, it's sort of a comedy, but it's mm. sort of a tragedy as well because this is really sad. Like, for a guy to have to go over to Europe um, to... And this is Lance's case. Like, everybody throws a book at Lance. He's, like, the most hated sports person for a long time on the planet. But for me, he was my hero growing up. Mm. Um, and so I tried to see it from both sides. I tried to see him as the bully that he was with a lot of people, but defending a secret... So defending a lot of people's jobs and probably mm. 200 jobs depending on him re- retaining that The whole Livestrong uh, charity depended on it as well. Mm. All the yeah. money that he was raising for the Livestrong community. Mm. The whole Livestrong charity, Trek Bicycles, was a $100 million company and was a mm. billion dollar company at the end of his... Uh, That's a lot of pressure for an athlete to have mm. to have that much pressure. Look, at the end of the day, this is how I think see things. You can never really judge a person's circumstance until mm. you're inside their own mind and inside their own body. So it's it's very hard for people on the outside to throw stones and mm. say, "Look, you shouldn't have done this." So obviously, it's illegal and it's mm. not right. Mm. But um, it's yeah, human circumstance. It's challenging. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's really. I have really, a question really for you. Um, That's what you, you meant can, to do, isn't it? Ask me questions. Oh somewhere. yeah, yeah. So here, <laughs> um, what would you do? What have you done in the past to win? And what, what would you do psychologically, mentally, physically to win? 
Um, Where's your line? <laughs> it's difficult to say. Like, I, an, el- an, el- an elbow in the face? No problem. No problem. Like, even Would you I, put a quirk in your mouth? And be dragged to a fish a line? I'm worried about my teeth. I'm worried about my teeth. No, but as kids, like, we were, like, I'm literally talking as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid. I was taught, like, when you start, make sure your elbows are up so you're, like, hitting people in the face who are also trying to hit you in the face. So that's pretty funny, but... Um, <laughs> Like and you're eight years old, you know, and you're trying to bust somebody's nose. Who's people, telling you that? People, my coach at the time, who's probably, probably watch this. <laughs> Bang. Yeah, yeah. John, He's probably watching, listening. going, yeah, look where I got you now. Yeah, John, yeah, look at look jo- at you now, professional. <laughs> I was right, John. If you're watching, I still do the same today. <laughs> um, but in answer to your question, I'm, I'm 36, so I don't need to take any risks. And also, I think we, we, we are pretty narrow-minded as the general public when it comes to certain things. Like I don't know what goes on behind the scenes in. Like the Vietnamese War, for instance, I don't know really what goes on. I know what I see, I know what I don't like, I know what I don't want war, but I don't know what do- deals are done under the table and Iraq and all these things. So um, I can't just be. I try to see things from both sides, mm-hmm. but um, you just don't know. Like the, apparently, the most corrupt sport in the world is sumo wrestling because what? Yeah. So the way that there's a lot of gambling in sumo wrestling and the way the competitions are set up it's easy for you I think it was free economics I read this in and uh, the way that the competitions are set up you can qualify before your last sort of three events or something so if you've got like a small guy against a really big guy and it, the chances is like 300 to 1 that this little guy's going to win a lot of people have a lot of money on it and pay this guy to lose and then he's not lost anything he's still through to the finals or whatever whenever there's money involved yes you know there's corruption but but then it's easy for the general public to see it and say, right, that guy cheated because he wanted to win. But then you hear about cases in Italy, uh, like last year, there was two 66 and 68-year-old guy were both caught with motors in a bicycle for a cycling race. And it's like, what were you trying to win? Like, were you trying... And it's literally local status. He just wants to go into his local bar or restaurant that night and say, I want to race today. That's it. So when you have that sort of sport competitive mindset. But then, do you know, it's not just sport, is it? It's like, what about banking? You know, yeah. do you think crazy things happen in banking? Of course we know that. So if you if you were to go in like the Walmart or something like that and the girl behind the till gives you change of a $50 instead of change of a $20, how many people in that moment will say, hey, I owe you $30? How many people say that? Or do they just think, I'm ripping off Walmart? Or do they think, that girl could actually lose a job because yeah. of this? So it's like, in the moment, what, you know, who are you? Who are you, really? And so when I go to bed at night, I know that I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And, um, I, I, like, I, I feel sorry when it happens, when stuff breaks, especially in Spain, it's quite regular. When stuff breaks and it's like somebody's been caught for doping, it's like... Well, we we all sort of knew that, right? We all we we know that. Firstly, that guy is running specifically for business only. He doesn't. I don't know whether he loves the sport or not, but he's not doing it for the right reasons. But what are the right reasons as well? You know, you don't know whether people have different reasons for doing things. But then, um, sometimes when it's shocking, it's quite disappointing. But also, it's like everybody will then flee as if a bomb's dropped. Like, okay, it's untouchable. Where. It's actually probably, if you've got a guy who's all his life, he's been a professional athlete, and then he's 28 years old and he gets busted for doping, he's lost his job, Mm. probably his house, his car, his wife will probably leave him. At that moment, he needs a friend, and probably all his friends will flee as well because it's untouchable. So, um, Do you know anybody that that's happened to without saying names? um, I've... A race to get, I, I have competitors that, and this is another thing. It's like I have competitors that have been busted for doping, and you're like, if some, it, and it has happened, yeah. Somebody's offered me, the, the, just small races, yeah. But somebody's called me and said, okay, that race you did two years ago, the, the winner's just been done, and therefore back, we're going to back check all the races, and therefore you won. Okay, I'm going to send you the gold medal. It's like, I don't want a gold medal. Like um, that was two years ago. It's like let's just move on just it's not good for the sport if anybody gets busted so you, although you don't want to sweep it under the carpet it's like let's just not make a song and dance about it just let's uh, 
I, it's re it's probably a minority view, but I feel a lot of empathy for for the person because not only have they had to live a life for a long time, but they've also just ruined their life and. A lot of the time, it comes with depression and suicide afterwards. Right. So there's nothing to celebrate about. It's nothing to say like, "Oh yeah, this guy." Like you will never hear from these Kenyans and Ethiopians and that, that pocket of East Africa when those guys get busted or Russians get busted. You never hear from them again because they they can't come back. And when they when they have come back before in the past, it's like, it's like usually in cycling where you're given another chance because you just have phenomenal ability. But you usually never ha hear from them again. So what are they doing? And that's yeah, quite sad, isn't it? It's quite. It's quite for me. It was quite sad to see the way George Best died. You know, when you're an old drunken man, just yeah. chundering onto yourself at the end of a bar, but you were once amazing. Yeah, that's quite sad. Where you'd prefer Pele's and at the end of Pele, or the end yeah. of Muhammad Ali's life, I'd prefer that. You know, like you go out with dignity and. So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's just, it's just really sad, and it's tragic that it has to happen. The good, the good thing about running and athletics is, unless you're really really up there um you're probably not going to have a support system around you that's going to encourage you to 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 cheat um because there's not much at stake in order for you to do it yeah i think so that's what protects our sport more than most i think yeah there, i mean a couple of years ago like ufc was getting huge right uh but there was a there was obvious cases in the ufc where you have guys with uh, unnatural yeah all uh, guys were huge. physiques yeah. yeah and so they brought in the old the guy who actually caught Lance Armstrong I think he's called Jeff Nowitzki yeah uh, they brought in him to do the drug testing and I was like I remember thinking are you sure are you sure you want to do this to your sport because there's going to be a lot of surprises uh, for, for for the, the heads and the shareholders and stuff like that and this is a company that only floated last year I think so do you really want to do this to the sport or was it because they knew they wanted to float that they need to make it a sport that was drug tested they tested a guy anyway um, who had a testosterone level twice the maximum amount that it was supposed to and apparently like I was watching a Joe Rogan podcast and apparently it was like a silverback gorilla this guy yeah, yeah? but then I think that was the Lance Armstrong Joe, Pod Joe Rogan podcast and then it's like Joe Rogan's conclusion was was better than any interview that has ever been done with Lance Armstrong because when he was interviewed by Oprah, Oprah's just like, "Oh my God, you did what? Like, how did you? How did that make you feel? You know?" And Bill Burr jokes about this. It's mm -hmm. like, um, "How did that make you feel?" And it's like, "You you're really shocked by this, Oprah? You work in Hollywood, yeah? You never had to step on anybody's head to get ahead." Um, and Joe Rogan just broke it down like, "You're not." A UFC fighter whose aim is to try and go in the cage and fight and kill another opponent. You're not cheating for that reason. You're cheating to win a bicycle race. And it sounds to me, his conclusion is really quick. Like, it sounds to me like you've gone over there as just a bunch of dopers. You've just started doping and done it a bit better than everybody else. Is that right? And Lance was like, it's pretty much the nail on the head, yeah? Um, but put that to the general public, and of course everyone's going to be, what? Like, you can't possibly cheat. I mean, that's like. As we've just said, like you're in Walmart, somebody gives you too much money change. Mm. Are you going to tell them or not? You go, you go to an ATM and it gives you all the, the maximum amount, and it doesn't take it out of your bank account. You're going to call your bank, or you're just going to think bank's got loads of money. I've got no money. So yeah. So who are you? Is that like? That's, that's a good mm. question. Mm. Mm. Who are who you, are like? You? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. Um, but I suppose. In running as well, it's not a super technological sport. Like, people don't have the kind of money to then go and like cheat, you know, with the and get away with some of the high. What am I trying to say? Like the high technical ways of cheating. Mm. Do you know, like mm. the UFC guys had a lot of money. They get mm. a lot of prize money, so they can go. They can pay this guy. They can pay that guy. They can keep that guy quiet. The runners just, you know, I'm sure everyone's. If you're if you're doing it, you're, you're probably going to get caught. Like, do you know people who've got caught and not been publicly busted? Is there anyone in that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you would definitely. I mean, there's um, there's a history of certain things were legal. I mean, the, the history of certain things were legal at certain times, and now there's retrospective doping. So you can freeze samples of urine. And you get blood. tested. Do you get, get your tested. blood tested? Yeah, yeah. How do they test you? What What is a test? What's you, the experience of a test? You pee into a cup. They take your blood. Very technical. And then they, 
just that <laughs> and simple. They tell you, uh, in a, I, I, and they tell you in a time where I don't think you even hear if, you, if it's if it's come back okay. I think it's only if it's bad you hear. So yeah, and you have like a whereabouts scheme, so you have to sort of like say an hour a day where you have to be for 365 days a year. Um, but there's, but the retrospective doping that I was talking about was they can then obviously science improves and the testing gets like more so now as you've seen in the UFC they can detect pictograms yeah. and it's like what's a pictogram it's like, it's like a grain of sand in a whole swimming pool <laughs> what the fuck like um, so then when you retrospectively test people that have left the sport what's in it for the sport to say that person was banned so yeah. then when you think of outliers in terms of world records or crazy races that have been won by people who have been a nobody and then all of a sudden are a somebody, it's like, why are we not... Surely something happened there? And it's pretty it's pretty obvious when you know what you're looking, you're looking at. But um, I think a lot gets covered up, yeah? A lot gets covered up, and I think that will come from the top down. So, you know... I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm down here, yeah, and so it comes from up here, and I think from the top, there's definitely a reason to keep the sport clean, and as I was saying about the UFC, but um, yeah, I mean, what I, what I, I'm sure, like they, they know now in the UFC, right? Like when Jorge Masvidal fought, fought Nate Diaz, they knew they had a mutual respect for each other. They knew neither of them had ever taken mm-hmm. illegal substances, or at least. Neither of them had ever taken steroids. Probably both done cannabis, but um, definitely. It was, yeah, I mean, well, I think Diaz is like openly just. I think there's a yeah. YouTube video of him getting on stage at a press conference in in California, and he just yeah, yeah, lights up. Well, the thing about UFC, this is how it should be because like you, you don't want to be an athlete. It's pretty boring. You can't get you know, you can't have a good time. <laughs> yeah, so you need to be available for testing all year round whereas in the UFC it's seasonal if you're ready to fight then they'll start to test you yeah. and stuff like that and that's how it used to be in cycling it was in competition testing the only when you went to a race could you get tested but of course you hope all the way around yeah. know exactly because you have a team doctor when this stuff will be out of your system stop it at the right time then yeah. race on the high I think it's the same for strongman competitions as well if I'm honest I think strongman are tested around circulating the events yeah but not all year round. Yeah. So now the footballers have to do the same. They in the UK they have to give a twenty four seven notice mm. of where they are. Yeah. And these guys can just come bang on their door at two AM yeah. and say, Right, time to time to for the drug test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this crazy disruptive way to yeah. be living. Yeah, sure, hundred percent, yeah. It, the, the, the interesting thing for me is um firstly, the more money in a sport, the more chance of it is of happening. You see crazy things happening in certain events. Like uh, in certain sports, like in football, uh, you see people recovering from injuries like at a ridiculous yeah. rate. Like, but then let me put a scenario to you, and you can answer yes or no. Like David Beckham ruptures his Achilles, so he snaps his Achilles in two. Back of his Achilles is there, and it's ripped, literally ripped. Yeah, and apparently to have that surgery, it's like it's like sewing two mops together. Yeah, it's horrendous, and the chances of him walking again. 20 years ago were impossible, yeah? Do you want to give him every drug that's possibly available on the planet in order to get David Beckham on the field because of his commercial worth? Or do you just say, listen, follow the rules? Yeah, Wayne Rooney. Well, look, there's a a big gray area when it comes to healing as well because I've tried a lot of this stuff and I've always wondered, oh, okay, like if I'm doing this, I wonder what all of the elite Mm. athletes Mm. are doing. Like I've had ozone treatments and blood doping as well, like stuff like Mm. that Mm. just to heal, Mm. just to get better and just to have more oxygen because oxygen makes you heal faster. So you can imagine what some of these athletes are doing in that gray therapeutic yeah. area. Yeah, There's yeah. like, okay, I'm going to try this or I'm going to do this or I'm going to have these vitamin infusions mm. or I'm going to... There's mm. a lot of stuff you can do that's very much in that gray area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the yeah. thing though. Like, And if that was the case as an athlete, sorry to interrupt you, I would be doing everything yeah, as yeah. an sure. athlete, sure, everything sure, in that gray sure, zone yeah. sure. to, to get healthier and to heal and mm. to go back to doing what you mm. love. Mm. So I can relate to... Yeah, me, me too. And, and you know, you could put, put me on a lie detector test here and say, if you could take a pill one, once a day for the rest of your life, but you never get injured, would you yeah. take it? I'd say absolutely. Yeah. No I don't want to cheat to be well, this is what, have an advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 
I'll take that pill. Yeah, this but the when you talk about vitamins and minerals and, and you think, okay, well, like if I take all of these vitamins and minerals, I'm going to heal faster mm. or I'm going to be a little bit more um, stronger or mm. have much mm. more micronutrients mm. in my body, then mm. you're going you're gonna to do that with vitamins yeah. and minerals, yeah. of course. Yeah. So it's... Something we've not covered here, which is a, a really important point, is therapeutic use exemplary I think it's called well, this is mm-hmm. what I was going to say sorry Dan, but the, uh, I didn't want to interrupt either of you earlier on but ethically are you able to withhold some treatment for somebody in order to get them from a minus back to par do you know like if there is a if there's a strategy for this person to come back from a brutal where one of their tissues is completely separated mm-hmm. and they need some sort of surgical input so mm-hmm. can you ethically say you're not allowed to do that as mm. a human as mm. a sports person mm. you're not allowed to do that because mm. you've got competition mm-hmm. but as a human mm. as mm. a person who's alive on this planet who's mm. got a family and who's got a, a, f- a whole life ahead of you yeah. can you withhold this sort of stuff mm. from people mm. just because it goes outside what their contract says over mm. here because they've in a little they run around a pitch and they kick a ball into a net and the yeah. opposite you know so from that instance I think it's a, it's a really interesting question to think mm. like once you have somebody who's injured because Wayne Rooney came back I don't know if it was ACL or MCL mm. like six months yeah. Yeah. instead of being a nine to twelve months yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. if he never plays football again mm. whatever who cares let him do what he wants but yeah. because he's playing football mm. now we have to abide by this list over here mm. Mm. and then you've got a, you've got a potential now we're being unethical yeah, by yeah. punishing him. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I, I think exactly that. Yeah, um, and of course you're you're not like they're not putting themselves through a regular day's work or something like that. They're putting their body under like a lot of duress. So, yeah, I I, I do think those things should be available. But but then then the problem goes, and it's like it's a really long conversation. But where does that stop and where does it start like mm. what level do you need to be at for that to be okay yeah. because I know certain treatments are really expensive so they're only going to be available to certain teams or players whereas does that then separate yeah. and divide or yeah because you can have therapeutic stem cell treatments where you take you know your own mm. stem cells out of your hip mm. and inject them into your body then you can have umbilical cord stem cells re-injected mm. Mm. they're expensive treatments you can yeah. even put them into your joints to reduce mm. inflammation and yeah, yeah. they yeah, yeah. it's like okay if it's my own stem cells i guess that's okay if mm. it's somebody else's maybe not yeah. But yeah it's my stem cells from when i was 21 but now i'm 37 <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so there's that and and the therapeutic use exemplary is basically um if you have low testosterone or if you have a low blood um, hemoglobin count yeah so if you're anemic sort of like mm. you can have like um, a, a therapy uh, basically a doctor's note for for taking EPO or something to boost that back up so when do you stop taking that like when do you go to the doctor to check you're okay and do you want it to go back down so, so people abuse those of course mm. um, and the same with testosterone if you train really hard as an athlete testosterone goes lo- down so how do you get it back up? You used to say, okay, you have to eat loads of certain foods, but now you can just get doctors. No. Mm. So what happened is all these cycling teams had their own doctors. So it was like getting a doctor's note was very, very easy to do. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, where does that stop? And again, where does it start? And the, the problem, and what are the standards? What are the averages for what your hemoglobin count should be? Or yeah. I know what that is. Like it, it's about mm. 12, right? 12 is the hemoglobin count. If you're under, yeah, yeah, if you're under, then you can have a transfusion if you're, yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy because what you ultimately don't want is is uh, like an environment where in order to get into a sport, a young kid needs to take something. You don't want it to become that unnatural. There'll be a a part, I think Malcolm Gladwell said this, he wants to see everything's everything's open for everybody. So he wants to see how far, far a guy can run. How fast the guy can, how how long and how high people yeah. can jump. He wants to just see like freak freak Olympics. It's an interesting yeah. one if they had a freak Olympics because then we, it, you, I foresee a world where we kind of touched on it. People are not only taking like gene uh, improving treatments, mm. but I mean, if you look at how big a gorilla gets mm. legitimately off eating 
like plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of genes has he got? How can we pull that out? How mm. can we give it to this guy? Mm. And then, okay, well, let's give that guy also, let's give him cheetah yeah. genes. Yeah. And yeah. in like 200 years, have we got some sort mm. of superhuman yeah. <laughs> of, of every type green people? Are we living mm. in something like, like yeah, Total Recall? Then, then you're playing like genetic roulette. And I think they're already doing that to mm. fruits and vegetables. We, I don't think we want to be playing that game. I think they're already really. doing it with people. I think they're already doing it with people. And then the Olympics would be because so something true. like, be like a, like basically like a sh- online shopping channel. Yeah. So I'll have some of that. Yeah. Some of that and mm. not so much of and that. But <laughs> and also look we're going to have a we're going to have a baby now. Okay, well, what way do you want your your baby human to be? Yeah. Do you want them to be tall, yeah. blue eyes, yeah. brown eyes? Yeah. We got if you can just pick from that list. Yeah. I think it's already happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Anyway, Yay. let's end with that note. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lee, um, you can be anybody you want. Make sure you choose the right parents, yeah? And l- let's go back to who are you, Lee? <laughs> yeah, who are you? Good. That's now, and I'm going to ask who you, do you want, yeah, Who do you want to be <laughs> and what animal and do you want to fly? Mm. Um, where can people track your stuff online? So you can go to my Instagram page, which is, I think... Uh, Last year and this year, it's been voted the funniest Instagram page in the world. Really? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. In the West and the East. I um, do like that photo of you upside down on your head. You like all the photos, Caroline. I do. Yeah. I do. So that's um, that's jungle.vip. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you why is it jungle.vip? Yeah, because of the Jungle <laughs> Book. It's the orangutan who sings, I'm, sing- oh. I'm the king of the jungle, the jungle VIP. Amazing. Yeah. I got it. But people give a shit about it. People could say, hey, who the fuck do you think you are the jungle VIP? That's like ridiculous. Like, the first time I saw it, I knew what it was. Yeah. The like, Jungle Book. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm the king of the swing. I have no idea. Jungle no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I've so always wanted to ask you that. Yeah, so <laughs> but then, uh, I don't know, mate, like, I've been asked by sponsors, if, do, you, do you mind changing that and just using your real name so people can find you more easily? Because like, they asked me to change my pro- my profile picture was basically me sat on a rock uh, naked in the jungle, right? And so they asked me to change that and the jungle.vip to just my name and me. And so we negotiated for some time <laughs> and came to, okay, I'll take the naked picture down. But it's, it's not obviously full frontal naked. Yeah. It's just like a glimpse of what you could have. No, I'm not. But not what you, what you, you could have also. <laughs> well. Just so, so not leaving you out, yeah? <laughs> Thanks for the inclusion. Um, <laughs> but you got to keep the Jungle VIP. So that's it online, jungle.vip. What yep. events have you got coming up this year? Um, this year, I think it's going to be pretty quiet. Like, just had a cross-country meet with the school that I'm, I'm coaching. So that was really interesting. Um, um, there's going to be... Maybe I'll do the Chiang Mai Marathon in about three or four weeks. Uh, there's a lot of my Maldivian friends that are coming over for that because I went to their race in, in, in January, I think it was. Um, and then next year, it's just all build up to May, June. And then... Uh, September, but I'll do a lot of like training races, like yesterday, in between. So uh, everything, will, there'll be loads going on. Yeah. 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 Cool. And you can ask Lee anything on your Instagram, pretty yeah. much any day of the week. Yeah. 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 And it literally is uh, anything. Yeah. Anything. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me again. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye.